Oh, well, thank you. Thank you to Byron and Becky for the invite. And it is so good to see Harry and Louise and different ones of you. I mean, we have changed a little bit. I had brown hair the last time, and then I turned blonde, and now I'm white. So that tells you the rhythms of life that we are all in. Well, I had a wonderful time. And I, I will tell you right offhand that I really felt the Lord spoke to me almost before I got here. And then I said to the women this weekend, I can smell you. Do you know that the Lord said we carry the fragrance of Jesus Christ? And Charles and I do a lot of traveling. And in the process, we sort of smell groups. And what I'm talking about is that it becomes obvious when you have been in the river of God. It becomes obvious when you have been in a season of revival. Because you really are ruined forever. Once you have been in revival, you are ruined. You, you, even when things ebb and flow, there is a hunger within you because you have tasted something of the power of his word, of his presence. And there's a hunger for the glory of his presence. And I just will want to say that you have seen nothing yet. I really feel that as a conviction, that the Lord is preparing you, and everything that has been slammed and you've been slammed against, praise God, it is going to be but stepping stones into the greater dimension of his power and of his anointing. So I, there are a couple of things that came on my, uh, uh, to my heart, and I... Uh, <laughs> what is very typical of me, and the girls probably have learned that, is that I have a plethora of information, and it just flows out. And I want to start with what I started with the women, because I feel that's a word for you. And if you would turn with me to John chapter 7. Uh, and I'm going to tell you something about Charles and myself, because we were birthed in revival in 1950 and in 1951. And I want to tell you something of what happens to your spiritual DNA when you are involved in the moves of the Lord. But this scripture came to me for you, and I, I want you to eat this and to appropriate it. So, Father, as we come into your presence, Holy Spirit, breathe upon your word. Breathe upon your word. And I ask you in the words of Paul that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would be upon us in our understanding of you. I ask that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we would each know the hope of our calling. Father, give a fresh revelation of what your inheritance is in us. Lord, thank you for pouring out the Father's love. And thank you that we, we sense your joy in us. May that increase. And then, Lord, we also ask, that the power of the resurrection that dwells within each of us would arise within us. And I declare over this people that since that same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells within their mortal bodies, you are quickening the mortal bodies and you're quickening their spirit, soul, and body. So come, breathe upon us. Breathe upon your word in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, uh, chapter 7, uh, verse 37. And I won't go into the, some of the details I did with the gals, but uh, just to know this is the Feast of Tabernacles. 
And it says, verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the feast, and they had just finished pouring water down the temple steps. And so the, the, the feast, the tabernacle of um, the Feast of Tabernacles, we have just finished that. And that is yet to be fulfilled on the earth, right? Passover, Pentecost is fulfilled. Those are spring feasts. The fall feast are the Feast of Tabernacles, which speaks of ingathering. And so we are moving towards the greatest outpouring of His Holy Spirit with a massive ingathering. And it's happening in many different countries already. There are countries that are even further ahead than we are. They're making me jealous. My husband, my husband is presently right now in Niger, in Africa. He's working in with all these different pastors, and 98% of them, 98% of the country is Muslim. And many of the people that he is working with right now, he said, have all the marks tribal marks on their face which indicates they are first generation believers but they are like a house on fire because they were thirsty and now they found the water of life jesus says on the last day of the great day of the feast he stands and he says with a loud voice if any man is thirsty let him come to me and drink Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within them. And this he spoke of the Spirit. I woke up a couple of weeks ago, and I always love this when the Lord does this. I woke up, I was was sound asleep, and just as I was coming awake, this scripture was washing over me. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And I woke up and just in my mind, rivers of living water. And what I sense, and I sense this uh, as I've been in the midst with the women, that, uh, you know, here, even if you're a man, you have a womb. It's the womb of the spirit. They're life-giving in the Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit fills us, rivers begin to open up. And what happens sometimes in the progress of life is that those rivers get clogged up. And we need a fresh dynamite of the Holy Spirit to get us unclogged. And it is not one river, it is plural. And when I woke up a few weeks ago, I sensed the Lord saying, you've been allowing too few rivers to flow. There are more rivers, and, I, and I'm now doing a study of the rivers. There are rivers of delight. There's a river of peace. There's a river of life. There's a river of healing. And I want to say to you, put your hand here. Say, Lord, release the rivers. Uh, let the river flow. Yes, Father, do it. Let the rivers flow. We are living in a time that it it is absolutely critical. By the way, I I have to say this. uh, Our church is 15 miles away from the White House. I pray you're all going to vote. We are in the thick of it in D.C. I want you to know that. Our area is politically alive and disruptive and all sorts of things. But, boy, the country is being called to... 40 days, it started in September, of prayer and fasting. We are at a pivotal place in this nation. And 
Yes, we pray for the government, but the Lord is looking to the church of Jesus Christ to do its part. And we have nations that are praying for us. We had a whole group of Africans in last week from Kenya, and they prayed for us. They said, we need America to not throw off all the moral constraints. We need what America has sent. They came from Greece uh, two weeks ago, and some of them said, all the resources in Greece have dried up. If it were not for the American church, we could not sustain these ministries. And they said, America, repent. And so I pray in Jesus' name that we will take very seriously and thank God we're not voting for a person. We are voting for a platform. Now understand that. We must intervene through this moral slide. All right, that's for free. Uh, I mean, I can't, I, I, I could get on a roll on that because we are alive in our area on the same-sex issue on the whole thing of abortion, on the whole issue of Israel, which is absolutely critical to us. Any nation, I do have to say this, any nation that turns its back or does not support Israel comes under the judgment of God. Obadiah says the nations will be judged by how they have treated Israel. And I pray, I'm in and out of Israel every year. Who's Scott Volk's? Yes, you's, yes. Scott Volk, by the way, we've known since nine years old, uh, since he's been nine years old. And he's, I claim him as one of my spiritual sons. And uh, we are in and out. And to see what the Lord is doing in that land. Oh, well, see, I have to watch because I can go in that river as well. All right. I want you to look with me uh, right now. I want to give you just a, a little background of Charles and myself. Look at Psalm 71. I, I want to give you a, a, a very quick overview of the ways of the Lord in the moving of the Spirit. I was converted at the age of 12, and the night I was converted, I watched this tall, dark, handsome 14-year-old <laughs> teach the book of Romans. And I thought, he is crazy. What a crazy teenager. How many of you are 12, 13, 14 years old? Huh? You, I pray you'll be mocked for the kingdom. Right? Be mocked for the kingdom. And uh, I, I want to read this scripture, and then I want to tell you what happened with this tall, dark, handsome Bible teacher. Okay. Psalm 71. Verse 13. Excuse me. Verse 17 says, Since my youth, O God, you have taught me. And to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation and your might to all who are to come. Is that right? That's where we are, right? He's been faithful to us since our youth. Um, oh, I have to take this side, Eddie. I will keep my... Uh, on the, I have to tell you... We, my book is coming out in three weeks. And by the way, if you see anything that you want out there and you feel quickened of the Lord, put in what you can. Uh, we want to sow the material. My husband has numerous things out there as well. But back in 19, hmm, 1999, how many of you remember the massacre at Columbine? Well, that, we were, April 1999, Charles and I are watching the national news 
And all of a sudden, across the news comes the picture of Daryl Scott, who was very active in the Jesus movement, whom we knew personally from northern Minnesota and Camp Dominion. And we look at the national news, and there's his picture. And his daughter, Rachel Joy, was one of the ones who had been murdered and killed in that. And we just looked. We were stunned. We knew Daryl and Beth quite well. Well, through the, and many of you, and some of you are too young to remember this, but there were 13 that were killed in that whole episode. To make a long story short, we contacted them. They came to go to the White House. They were going to see the Clintons. Dateline was doing a whole story on them. And we said to them, come to us. And we called all the youth groups in our area in Maryland. We're in Silver Spring, Maryland. And our, our, our sanctuary holds about 2,500. And the place was packed. And we had the 13 crosses they brought from Columbine. They were up on the altar in honor of those that had been killed. And Daryl and his son, Craig, both began to share. Now, Craig was in high school, and he was in the library between two of his best friends, and they were both shot. And he was laying, actually, in their blood. And he said that he cried out. The fear was amazing. It just gripped him. And he said, God, take the fear away. And he said, instantly it left. And he heard the literal voice of the Lord say, Craig, get up and take all the students with you. He said he got up, pushed out the back door, and took all of the students, including a gal who had been shot in the shoulder. It was an incredible testimony. And then Daryl got up, and he gave the teenagers this challenge. And I was watching all these kids. He gave the teenagers this challenge. He said, you must be willing to lay your life down for the Lord. Absolutely. But that's not what I'm asking you to do today. Today I'm asking you, are you willing to radically, passionately live for Jesus Christ? You could have heard a pin drop. Nobody moved. In fact, I was sitting on the front row with my six-week-old grandson on my shoulder. And I turned around, looked, and I saw that there was such a battle going on within the teenagers. And we were scattered, different ones of us, throughout the auditorium, and we just were praying. And within about ten minutes, that's how long it took. It seemed like forever. Kids began to run up, run up, run up, repent. Repent of living half-heartedly. And it was an amazing thing. And I had six-week-old Chase here, and we have a big cross in front. And I ran through them, and I lifted him up. And I said, mark him for your kingdom. Put such a seal on him and ruin him for yourself that if he tries anything in the world, it will never satisfy him. Oh, I remember holding him up. And I began to weep, and I heard the Lord say, Are you willing for this next generation to stand on your shoulders and go further than you have ever gone? That, I know, is our heart in my generation. 
that those of you, we've paid a price. And I, I, I could have told the women story after story. We paid a price. I look back on some of the truth and some of the things. Oh, my gosh. And, but there is a glory to be ushered in upon this earth. Before the Lord comes back, there are going to be fireworks like you cannot believe. You look at the Mideast and you see what's happening in Israel. You see what's happening in Iran. You look around and see the, the Muslim Brotherhood taking over. And you begin to say, my God, what time is it? And he says, it is time to seek the Lord until he comes. Now, saying that, by the way, the title of my book that's being released in three weeks is Stand on My Shoulders. I sat before the Lord and I said, Lord, what is it? What is the treasure that many of us from my generation have dug out of the wells of salvation? And I just want to say to those of you that are young, I said to some of the teens this weekend, I'm jealous of you. I honestly would like to start all over again. There is nothing more fulfilling than to serve him. Well, there's another word the Lord has given to me. It's sort of an obscure word. And we're not going to park there for very long, but it's 2 Kings chapter 3. I was praying over you, and I kept hearing, dig the ditches. Dig the ditches. Dig the ditches. And so I want you to see very quickly the context, because there are two other passages I want to really land in. The passage here is that the three kings are going to battle against Moab, and they're in the desert. And while they are in the desert, they run out of water. How many of you have been in the desert at times and have run out of water? You go, oh, God, this has been such a wilderness, and I'm being parched. And so they say, is there not a prophet? They get a hold of Elisha. And it's interesting that Elisha in verse uh, 13 of Second uh, Kings 3, he makes this statement. He says, but now bring me a harpist. While the harpist was playing, the hand, verse 15, while the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha and he said, this is what the Lord says, make the valley full of ditches. For this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water. And you, your cattle, and your animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also hand Moab over to you. So you're in the desert. You're in the wilderness. And the worship, by the way, you will always see that worship uh, increasingly releases the prophetic anointing. That's why it's critical. I told the women we were worshiping uh, one night and I saw a glass cleaner. Have you used glass cleaner? It was, it was the strangest picture. And I've gotten those pictures since I've been 15. And I, I, got, I saw glass cleaner. And I saw that the atmosphere was full of kind of smog and filth and dirt. And the Lord said, when you praise, when you praise, when you worship, it acts as glass cleaner to the atmosphere. And I clear the atmosphere of the static. So the word of the Lord, because he's always speaking so we can hear that word of the Lord. 
The word of the Lord is dig ditches. And I would say for River Fellowship, dig your ditches even while you were in the desert. How do you do that? Huh? Come on, talk to me. What does it mean? You would say worship? Uh-huh. What else would you say? Come on, how do you dig ditches? What is he talking about? Grab a shovel. <laughs> grab a shovel. What's the shovel you're grabbing? The word of the Lord. Feed yourself even when you don't feel like it. I pray the Holy Ghost will get you if you don't have a daily quiet time before the Lord. Like, I, I, you know, Lord, get him. You cannot expect the water without having it. Personal revival must happen in each of us. And it comes as we're in the secret place cultivating that work of the Lord. But yes, it is through worship. It is through giving. You dig ditches through giving. I mean, I was in a meeting and I had just come back from abroad and I had hidden in my wallet $100 that was because I was in another country and they were taking an offering. I'll never forget this. I had $10 and I took proudly the $10 out. And I'm sitting there and I heard the Lord said, but you have 100 And I went, how'd you know that? It was hidden away. It was hidden away. You know, I, Lord, that was from my trip to Israel. Well, I'm, isn't that funny? I mean, why would I struggle like that? Right? I mean, why do we struggle? It's all his anyhow, right? And so I took that hundred and I said, okay, here it is. <laughs> and I said, I know you love a joyful giver, but right now it's a little reluctant. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to obey you because we dig ditches. We dig ditches through exercising tongues. We dig ditches through praying in the Spirit. We dig ditches through the Word of the Lord. We dig ditches through our offering. We dig ditches through our compassionate serving of one another. We also have life groups. And uh, our whole thing is the bigger you get, the smaller you have to become. And you need life groups for that. At any rate, the Word of the Lord to you is dig ditches. Now... Jump over to a very, and I'll give you some more how we dig these ditches. Look with me to Second Chronicles chapter 7. You know it. You're familiar with it. But uh, there's something. It's about the glory. Now, before I get to this, which is somewhat the heart, Charles and I came out of, uh, we're from Brooklyn, New York. Could any of you hear the Brooklyn accent? <laughs> When I go to Brooklyn, I tell them when I'm ministering in New York, I'll say, I say, do I have an accent? They say, no. I says, no, that's because I sound like the rest of you. you know? and, and yes, we are Brooklynites. We were born in the same hospital. We grew up on the same street. His father and my father were both Roman Catholic. His mom and my mom were both Lutheran. And they sent us to a Dutch Reformed church. And the operative word is sent because our parents did not go to church but they thought it was a good thing for their kids to go to church. Then we come to a season. God has seasons of revival. And we came to a season in 1950 and 51. Now, we were in a liberal church. I don't ever remember hearing the gospel preached. But one, one afternoon in a spelling class, a Catholic girl turned around to me and said to me, would you come with me to, my, to the youth group? And when I said to what youth group, it was my youth group. I didn't even know there was a youth group going on in my church. And I said to her, anyhow, you're Catholic. What are you doing in my youth group? And she said that proverbial, why don't you come and see? 
Well, you know what I found? 30 teenagers, 12, 13, 14 years old. About 29 of us came out of liberal churches and non-Christian homes. Only one came out of a Christian home. And God sovereignly swept us into the kingdom. I will tell you, I sat there, and even though I had strings, I mean, all sorts of buttons telling me that I was at Sunday school since five years old, I was not converted. I knew about Jesus. I did not know Jesus. And that night, March 1951, I heard that Jesus saves, he's alive, and he was knocking on the door to my heart, and if any man hears him and opens that door, he will come in. And you know what? I can close my eyes and take myself back 61 years ago. And I realize, God, you are about to change my life. And, of course, I did tell you about this tall, handsome man, right? Yeah, well, he's my husband now, right? (laughs) I said to Charles, I said, you know, the night the Lord won my heart, I think you got a foot in there somehow, too. Uh, I mean, he was teaching at the age of 14 already. Well, we were doing the Tennessee-Georgia camps back in the 70s, and we were ministering with Derek Prince, and he asked us, he gave us an observation. He asked us when we came into the kingdom, and we told him 50-51, and we said, we were not sure how we got in. I mean, we don't know if anybody was praying for us. I mean, we, we came from non-Christian homes. How did we get in? And he gave this astute observation. He said, you were born in a season of revival. You were born during the outpouring in Argentina with Dr. Miller, where our precious folks are based. And there was such an outpouring of the Spirit in Argentina. And along with that was an intercessory cry. There was also an outpouring in the Hebrides. Uh, west, uh, off the coast of Scotland. In fact, I was in Scotland a couple of years ago, and when I told the story, there was a sister weeping, weeping, and I went over and I said, what's going on? And she said, I'm from the Hebrides, and the Lord is doing it again. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know what? I could run into all those different ways and tell you what's going on there. But basically, in the Hebrides, the Lord used two old women, 82 and 84. I think that's so wonderful. One was blind and the other was arthritic. My gosh, I went over Lord. And you know what? Made no difference where they were. They got their teeth into a promise in Isaiah 44. I will pour out my spirit upon the thirsty. I will pour out my spirit on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and your descendants' descendants. And these two old ladies looked around and saw that the bars were full and the churches were empty. And that was not satisfaction. And they got a hold of the Lord. Oh, my gosh. Duncan Campbell. I heard an old tape of Duncan Campbell. Have you ever heard any of that? I mean, an old scratchy tape uh, by this, this man of God. Well, at any rate, to make a long story short, the Spirit of the Lord fell all over the Hebrides. Then in Battleford, Canada, what is called the latter rain. Now, it went down in infamy, but its initial outpouring was a very genuine outpouring. And this is what Derek said. I want you to visualize this. He said, when God is about to move, he's going to always call people to pray. And that's one of the ways we're going to dig the ditches. 
Pray, fast, intercede, proclaim the promises. You promised that the Spirit would be poured out on me, upon my children, my descendants. And he said, you were born in a season when intercession was arising from many different parts of the earth. And intercession is never limited to the geography. When the Lord, you know what it's like, you know, in Revelation 5, the harp and bowl ministry, right? The worship and the bowl is what in Revelation 5? The prayers of God's people. And I want you to visualize this, that when the bowl gets full, he dumps it over as answered prayer upon the earth. And I'll never forget this. Derek said, you came in in a season when that bowl was dumped over and the Lord with his hand was harvesting the earth of young people. I gotcha, I gotcha, I gotcha. And you know what? There's a passion in my heart. Do it again. Get the intercessors on fire. May we pray, may we fast. Give you no rest, day nor night, until you establish your house as a house of glory in this hour. Amen? So I would say, this is one of the ways you're going to dig the ditches. You may, and you know what? Sometimes it may be as dry as can be. I'm going to tell you that we were converted during that time, and then I'm going to fast forward you to the Jesus movement. Oy vey. I have a... I had, and that's, that's when we sort of contacted these precious people. Um, how many of you were, were born again in, from 70 to 80? Yeah, you know something of the Jesus movement. Well, I just have to tell you how it was birthed in our area in northern Minnesota. We met for prayer for two years in a little old lady's farmhouse in northern Minnesota. We lived in Grand Rapids, a town of 7,000. And the prayer meeting sometimes was boring. By the way, you don't give up when it's boring. You know, sometimes I'm bored with my own prayers. I just have to tell you that. That there were a couple of months ago, you know, I'm, I'm fulfilling my religious duty by praying and Bible study. You know, and so I finally sat there and I said to the Lord, are you as bored with my prayers as I am? And you know what? I really sensed him say yes. I, I really did. I just felt like, well, it's about time you realize this, you know. You know, Give me a litany of requests here. And so I said to the Lord, make this alive to me. Prayer is to be an overflow of communion with you. Well, at any rate, back to Sister Selma's little prayer house. Huh? We met for two years, anywhere from 10 to 15 of us. And then come uh, the fall of 1970. The Lord gave us the most unusual prophetic word I had ever heard. And it went this way. Shh. Be still. Put your requests aside. And let me put the burdens that are on my heart on your heart. And you know, it's one of those times. That's why I look at some of you young people and I think, Boy, I wish by osmosis we could pour in some of our encounters with the Lord. But you have to experience it yourself. Because that morning, the presence of the Lord was electric in that place.
and we were totally silent. It was October 1970. And all of a sudden, with one voice, we had all heard the same thing. Give us the young people in Grand Rapids. Give us the young people for the kingdom in this area. We didn't even know what we were asking for. And all I know is that we became pregnant with the burden of the Lord. Do you hear that? That there are times when he speaks, he puts a seed in your womb, man or woman, and you are pregnant with the life of God. And we were pregnant with revival. We didn't even know what that was all about. All I know is it intensified. We prayed in the car. We prayed over the telephone. I remember getting up one morning and telling one of the other pastor's wives, listen, there's another prayer meeting in Emma's house. we got to go. We got in the car. All we did was speak in tongues. We got into that, and they were all little old ladies. I mean, praise God. Listen, the best is yet to come when you're 70, 80, and 90. I'm convinced of it. We have an anointing that is reserved for us. At any rate, we went into her house, and they were all interceding. We didn't even greet one another. We come to March 1971, and we call a little conference up in northern Minnesota, and two students from Oral Roberts University come, have no idea what was being prayed for, and they come and they say uh, on a Friday night, and it was, uh, by the way, Good Friday, it was Easter weekend, and they said, you know, we can't stay here. Do you have young people in this town? And they said, we've got to go out. We want to we wanna witness to the young people. Uh, where are, the, are they in the bowling alleys? Are they in the ice cream stores? So we laid hands on them, and the Lord spoke to us and said, this is that. Pray it in. Well, we went upstairs, a group of us, and we began to intercede. Well, they came back with one person. <laughs> the next day, they came back with three people. And then the conference was over. Now, I'm married to a type A husband, and the church met in our, husband, in our house for eight years. So after everybody left, and I'm scratching my head thinking, this is that? I mean, thank God for the four that came. Well, at any rate, we cleaned the whole house. He's collapsing, and we get a knock on our front door. And I was so tight, and I opened it up, and the scariest-looking kids stand there. <laughs> Stringy hair, torn jeans... I mean, I, I was afraid to open the door. You know, I'm very religious. And I, 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 and I, I, looked, I looked and I said, yes. And this is what they said. Hi. We hear people are getting zapped in this place. I didn't even know what the word meant. Zapped in this place. Well, I will tell you, within a half an hour to 45 minutes, up to 100 kids filled our basement and came to a meeting nobody called. The Holy Ghost had dug the ditches through prayer, through fasting, and we didn't even know what we were doing. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, we go back to northern Minnesota, and we sit with some of them. Their kids are older now than what they were when we met them. And I, I remember going down the stairs that night, and the place was blue with marijuana smoke. The only way my husband got them to stop was he grows plants. And he said, please, kids, you're killing my plants. Could you not smoke the marijuana in the house? You know? At any rate, I remember going down the stairs, and I, uh, 
I saw this girl with big puppy eyes sitting there with her hands in. And I said to her, uh, she's one of my spiritual daughters today. She was all crunched up. And I said to her, do you know what today is? She said, yeah, it's Easter Sunday. I said, do you know what that means, that it's Easter Sunday? And she said, I'm sure you're going to tell me. <laughs> I'm, I'll never forget that. And I'm going to tell her that Jesus was alive. And, blah, 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 and, that, you know, and then she looked at me and she says, lady, you are crazy. <laughs> and I said to her, do you want to believe in him as well? And Kathy said, yes, yes. And we took many of those kids. We lived right by the Mississippi River. We took many of those kids, and they emptied their pockets of all their dope and their paraphernalia and threw it in, and we baptized them. And our congregation in northern Minnesota was never the same. You know what? When you have been in a move of God, you are ruined forever. You have seen, you have tasted. We had the high school call us, and the high school said, what's going on in your house? I mean, and that was, by the way, happening all over the country. It was happening south, north, east, west. See, it was before computers and technology, so we were not in touch with the fact that this was all happening. But this next move of God, we are going to know, because there's going to be a linking all over the place. Oh, and then, you know what, then I look at the 1980s. It took us, at the end of 70s, we went from northern Minnesota to Washington, D.C., because we really were Easterners, and the Lord clearly led us. The 80s were terrible for us. Terrible. Have you ever had terrible times? Your heart is broken. And in fact, they were so terrible, I said to Charles, I'm out of here. Let the church take care of itself. I'm finished. And I look back on some of those times, and I realize it was just before Emmanuel's church was birthed. And the enemy knew what his dream was for this congregation and threw everything out of hell against us to destroy us. And I look around at a congregation of 65 nations. I don't even know where they come from. Uh, the Caucasians are a minority in our wonderful congregation. You'll see all the different dress from all the different nations. And we do what you did. Every week we're sending out, we're receiving back, sending out. And I look and I say, thank God when all of the things from hell were pitted against us, you were more than a conqueror. And you know how he did it? I said this again and again. He had won our hearts. We loved him. I didn't like his people all the time, but I loved him. I, I, I was totally confused by what he did or didn't do at times, and he was bewildering. But I remember when I said to the Lord, just you and me, you'll take care of the church. I'm finished. No more traveling, no more nothing. And, uh, but he won my heart. So for day after day, he poured his love on me. And I loved him. I loved him. But just him and me. And then I got all these invitations. And I said, you don't want me to do this. It's just you and me, right? And then I read from John 21. If you love me, you will feed my sheep. And I went, no. <laughs> I love you. 
What do the sheep have to be included with that? (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. I pray that even as you have been uh, poured out upon by the love of God, that that love will birth within you a love and a passion for him. And that love will be greater than any pain, any conflict, anything that is belched out of hell. And there will be times in which you will look at him and say, do you know what you're doing? I don't understand a thing that's going on in my life. And I remember a couple of years ago, I raised my hands in the middle of worship. And I said, well, I don't know how you did it. But I love you more than the pain in my life. And there was pain. And I said, but I love you more and I don't know how you did it. Listen, these end times are going to require that we are alive. We are not apathetic, mediocre. Listen, if he is who he said he was, then that's passionately go after him. Now, I'm running out of time, so I'm going to finish with this, right? You're all familiar with it. Second Chronicles chapter 5, I mean chapter 7. It has to do with the glory. How does the glory come? I have a book out there called The Threshold of Glory. I had the privilege not only of working in Toronto, but I also worked in Brownsville. I traveled uh, with uh, Brenda Kilpatrick and four of us uh, women went out of Brownsville and we traveled all over the world. I remember when we went to uh, the chapel in Wales where the outpouring took place in the early 1900s. Oh my gosh, there was still a lingering presence. You know, whenever the Holy Ghost shows up, you can go to those places geographically. You still smell them there. That's also true in Israel. There are certain places where his mark is. But as I look back on some of those days, oh my gosh, when you're just in the glory and and we were praying for people in the parking lots and the parking lots was strewn full of people. You know, and you think, Lord, you know, it's not clean down there. But at any rate, (laughs) you know, all sorts of things. But what? You tasted the glory. And I said to the Lord, you know, Moses asked you two things. Teach me your way and show me your glory. Teach me your ways. And you know what? I pray there is a hunger not to know about God, but to know his ways. It says that the people of Israel knew his acts, but Moses knew his ways. See, you can see the things God does and not know his heart. And when you know his heart, then you're licked. I will tell you that. But here, concerning how does the glory come, and you can read Second Chronicles 5, but I'm very impressed with the first verses of chapter 7. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifice, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple. They knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, what did they say? Here's another way to dig the ditches. Say it with me. He is good and his loving kindness for endures forever. You've got another translation. Okay. He is good and his love endures forever. And you will prophetically proclaim that into the spiritual world even when your heart is breaking. 
even when there are pieces, you will stand before him and say, I declare before principalities, powers of darkness, the whole spiritual world, you are good. You are good. You are good. And your loving kindness endures forever. That's how we dig ditches. And listen, I know the valley of tears. I know what it is to have your faith slammed up against the wall. But I know that being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you, he will bring it to conclusion. You know, it's almost like the Lord looks down and these are glory days. But he also sees that there's going to come a time when that glory is going to ebb away. And if you look at verse, and we'll conclude with this, if you look at verse 11, when Solomon had established the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night. You know what? I was thinking about that. The glory was so intense. And Solomon now, these glory days, and the Lord comes to him at night because he realizes that it probably won't always be that way because he knows the hearts of his people. And so he comes to Solomon and he says, I have heard your prayer. And I have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. And then he makes a declaration. When I shut up the heavens so there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, when does God do that? When does he send droughts? When does he send uncontrollable fires? When does he send earthquakes? When does he send economic upheavals? When does he do that? Huh? When? When he's pleased with his people? No, these are all forerunners of a judgment. And the Lord says, I see that I will have to judge sin. And when I do that, now here's the hinge of history. The first word of verse 14 is what? If. Say the word if. If the hinge of history, that means we can or we can't. We will or we maybe will not. If the government, no, I love this, right? If my people who are called by my name, four things he tells us to do. What's the first one? Oh, I was thinking a great deal about that. Don't go too quickly over that. When you dig the ditches, work on this. Humility. You know what almost destroyed the Jesus movement? And what caused us to go into all sorts of desert arrogance, pride. I went and, I, and, I, and you know what? We, you know, we, we were involved in that too. The Lord took us out to the woodshed and slapped us around a little bit. Because, you know, these were wonderful days. Uh, there was tremendous outpourings, and, and we saw people that were so gifted and talented, and they had the anointing, but they didn't have the character. <laughs> and you know what? People were catapulted into places of 
leadership, they had an anointing, they had gifting, but there were still holes all over, insecurity, wounds. My husband came up out of an abusive alcoholic background. We had no idea in the 50s what it was to be a child of an alcoholic. And when he and I got married, we were God's answer to the universe. And we almost killed one another the first year of marriage. I will tell you that. Our woundedness, our own insecurities. There's nothing like marriage, by the way, to bring out insecurities. Right? And I said to some, Charles and I be married 50 years next year. And one of our young kids said uh, this summer, they said, how'd you do that? I said, um, well... That's the whole story. I said, but you know the purpose of marriage? And they said, what? I said, it's to kill you. One of you has to die, and preferably both of you, to make it through this, right? But if my people who were called by my name will humble themselves, and if we do not humble ourselves, he will do it for us. Humility means I'm teachable. Humility means I'm overwhelmed with the fact that I only know in part, and I see in part, It means that I'm a learner. I'm open to everyone. It means I'm not going to control God's people. It means that he is my shepherd. He's the shepherd of God's people. Oh, humility. I hang around sometimes with these wonderful worship leaders. You know, these young kids. Oh, they're wonderful. So on fire. And I got to know this one guy. And, oh, the anointing was so powerful. And I sort of got to know him. And at the end of the weekend, I said, I got a word for you. And he said, yes, what is it? I said, if five years from now I come and you've blown your ministry through arrogance and pride, I'm going to beat you up. (laughs) And he looked at me and I said, listen, we've seen too many casualties along the way. Get your stuff dealt with. Get healed inside. Get work with a humility. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and do what? Pray. Jesus taught them a parable in Luke 18. The men ought always to pray and never to give up. Oh, what's the implication? Sometimes you think, I don't know, do you ever answer? And then sometimes he does and we don't like the way he answers. So you've got to deal with all of that. But at any rate, that's another. Humility. Pray. What's the third one? What's the difference between seeking his face and praying? Huh? That's right. You know what? You're not interested in asking. You just want him. One thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord. And to inquire in his temple. Oh, I love that. David's heart. And, and I, you know, my husband has a book on uh, heart after God, and we have laughed. And I told the women that, you know, Isaiah gets killed for touching the ark, and David rips the ark off and puts it in his backyard in a pup tent and gets away with it. It should have been in Shiloh. What was it doing in his backyard? Because he had a hunger for the presence of the Lord. And so if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, will pray, will just seek my face. And then what? Now, I talked to Charles about that. I said, that's wrong. I shouldn't turn from your wicked ways be first. Wouldn't you think? You would think so. Why is it not? 
because we don't know how much we need to turn from our wicked ways until we are in the presence of the Lord. Remember Isaiah? I came into the presence of the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And then I'm sure Isaiah thought he was all right, but in the revelation of his holiness, he went, Oy vey. Woe is me. We do not realize the depth to which we need to turn from our wicked ways until we have been in his presence. So I pray as a people, you will move in a deeper dimension of humility, that you will have an anointing to pray. Right now we're praying every day. There are prayer meetings all over D.C. There's David's tent. We're right on the Capitol. Oh, my gosh, right behind the White House. I mean, I'm going to another meeting in D.C. on Wednesday. Intercessors are flocking in to D.C. Worshippers are flocking in. We're walking the buildings. We're declaring this nation will once again be on righteous foundations. The Lord is hearing the cry. We are praying. We are seeking his face. And then by his grace, we will turn from those things that have grieved him. And then he said, why don't you stand with me? He's given a promise. He said, he said, if you do these four things, then I'll do these three things. I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive your sins. And I will heal your land. Father, you are incredibly good. And Lord, I thank you that this time around, you're not content with revival. You want a massive awakening that will impact our culture, our schools, our government, our workplaces. And Father, I ask you for this body of people. I sense, Lord, that there's a call upon them. And they are called to be a house where the healer dwells, a house where the river of life really does flow. And so I'm asking, Lord, that you would give an anointing of humility, that you would give them an intercessor's unction, that they will worship you with a revelation and an insight that will capture your heart. They'll be seekers of the Lord. And then I thank you, Lord, that you're going to do a depth of inner healing that comes through repentance and through allowing you to bring the dark places to light. We serve a risen Savior. And so I speak your blessing upon your people. I ask that they would have a hunger and a thirst for the word of the Lord as they've never had it. And then, Father, in Jesus' name, give a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. Father, may we be the recipients of the continuous outpouring of the Father's love, which expands our capacity to love you back. And we say thank you. Thank you, Father. And we do declare right now, 
in light of every circumstance, every obstacle, we make declaration before the spiritual world that our God is good and His loving kindness endures forever. Say it with me. Our God is good and His loving kindness endures forever. Hallelujah! We praise you, Lord. We praise you. We praise you. We praise you. My God. And we say thank you. Bless these people. Make them God chases in every sense of the word. And I thank you. There's a breakthrough anointing that is in the midst of this house. A breakthrough anointing in Jesus' name. And he will take the morning and turn it into joy because that's who he is. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We just thank you, Jesus. We bless your name, Lord. We thank you. We glorify you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just want to say this this morning um, after the weekend. Y'all can just stand because I'm going to release you. But um, I really felt like the Lord uh, had me to repent this morning to Byron because I realized with all the grief and all the things that we've gone through that I had elevated myself above God by questioning him why he would allow such things. And I had to repent of arrogance and pride. And so this morning, I think it's really the word of the Lord to us. And I felt like I I came to the conclusion this morning that the answer for us is surrender. Surrender. It always has been and will be. We may not ever know the answer on this side of heaven of why God allows things in, into our lives and our midst the way he does. But there's one thing we can do is surrender and humble ourselves before his mighty hand that he is God and I'm not. So thank you, Lord. So I just bless the Lord and we just thank you, Lord, for sending your servant to your people today, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And we just say, Lord, we receive. We surrender to you, Lord. We ask you to give us the heart to obey, Lord, to do what you're calling us in to do in this hour, Lord, that we would put ourselves aside, Lord, and that we would run with radical abandon to you and to your work in this hour. Thank you, Lord. We just thank you so much. Thank you, Lord. Let's just give the Lord a hand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And we want to ask the ministry team to come up. And if we could get some music going, we would do want to minister to people.